fact, those of you that know me well know that uh, when Mark is out of town, when he does ask me, I'm, I'm not fond of doing this. But he told me, he said, if you do it when you get up, you don't have to wear your mask. I said, okay, I, I'll do that. There's some, there's some reward. Appreciate seeing you all here this morning. And, and what I'd like to talk about for a minute this morning is just the fact that, that we are living in some difficult times. In fact, um, I, there's no doubt that we're living in, in a war area. <laughs> we, we witness skirmishes every day. Lines are drawn in the sand. Um, sides are taken, and we, we have enemies. And our United States seems to be just about everything but at this point. And how did we get here? That's, that's the question. You know, I... We've had differences of opinion throughout all of history. Everybody has differences of opinion, but rarely do they result in the, anti, you know, the animosity that seems to be going on today. So I have to wonder, what is that? And I think it's just too easy to blame that on just one or two people. Uh, I think it's, uh, the problem is bigger than that. And I'd like to take just a few minutes to take a look at the problem and get a little different perspective on it. Um, I'd like to look at the big picture, and I'd like to do it by asking two questions. Uh, that we need to answer. First is, who is the enemy? Uh, we all have enemies, but how good are we at determining who that enemy is? And then the second thing is, if we have an enemy and we're at war, where's the battlefield? Where does the battle take place? I think it's important that we know that as well. So let's start out by asking the question, taking a look at who is the enemy. Let's go to Ephesians 6 and 12 and look at what God has to say. For our struggle, our war, is not against flesh and blood. So right away we know it's not against flesh and blood. Think about the enemy that you have. The enemy that, your, your worst enemy you think. Think about that, visualize that person at this point. Do you see flesh? Do you see blood, is there blood going through that person's veins? Then scripture tells us you've misidentified the enemy. That's not the enemy. God has a totally different view of flesh and blood than, than to be considered as an enemy. And, and let's look at about three areas of Scripture. One is in Genesis. We go to Genesis 1, and right from the start, God said that he created man in his image. And, and he said then in chapter 9 in Genesis, he tells people, say, don't take the life of another man. And the reason is because they are created in my image. And so... Every, every flesh and blood, everyone, is created by God, has his image, and God says they're sacred. And then go to John 3.16, a verse we all know, that, that God so loved what? The world that he gave, gave his one and only son. Now that's pretty inclusive. That means God loved everybody. Jesus came and died for all people, not just some. Not just privilege, but all. And then 2 Peter 3 and 9 God says that he does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. God wants everyone to be in heaven. Now, when we face someone, when you stand in front of somebody that's flesh and blood, even if it's that enemy you're thinking about, just realize this. You're in the presence of someone that God created in his own image. You're in the presence of somebody that, that Jesus was willing to come to earth and to die for. And then you are in the presence of somebody who God wants to spend eternity with. We don't want to call that person an enemy. So who is the enemy? We've got them. If it's not them, who is it? Let's look at the rest of that verse in Ephesians 6 and 12. 
If it's not flesh and blood, then it's against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. These evil spirits in heavenly places. It's Satan. It's his army. It's his angels. We are in a spiritual war, and that's who the enemy is. Um, you know, it, it's, many people think that Satan is not real, that it, he's just, it's just a metaphor for evil. Well, that says something about how deceptive he is and how clever he is because he's deceived people into thinking he doesn't even exist when, in fact, he does exist. And he is powerful, and he is, he is uh, he's active, and he's real, and he is out for one thing and one thing only. His goal is expressed in John 10.10, 10, and there it says his goal is to steal and to kill and to destroy, and that's what he's out to do. And Satan knows that by dividing us into destroying our relationships with one another, we're also destroying our relationship with God who calls us to love others. And that's what he wants to do. So where is the battlefield? Where do we fight this Satan? Um, I think that's an important question and one that we don't often think about. But we need to know where Satan is focusing his attacks. See, Satan operates with what, what's called guerrilla warfare. He likes to stay hidden. He doesn't like for us to know where he is and where he's going to attack. So we can, we'll, be, we'll look somewhere else when, in fact, he'll come in another area. So we need to know where the battlefield is. Satan wants us to believe that it's out here in the world. It's in the physical realm. But that's not what Jesus says. Look at Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking and he tells him, he said, you've heard that murder, if you murder, you're going to be subject to judgment. But I tell you that if you are angry, you're subject to judgment. See, he took the sin and moved it from the physical act to the thought. He moved it into the mind. He moved it into a spiritual realm rather than the physical realm. And then he did the same thing when he talked about adultery. Same thing. He says that the sin begins in the mind when you lust, not the sin there. Because he knows that, uh, he, he makes the point that, that it's in our minds. Jesus wants us to focus our attention on our thoughts. Because he knows that thoughts are what produce actions. See, people do what they do because of the things they believe. That's why they do it. And so the thoughts are what is important. And Satan knows that too. And that's why he does everything to keep us out of that mindset. He does, he, he wants us to think totally in the physical realm. He says that, well, if there's no physical act, then there's no sin. Don't worry. He keeps everyone in that. He says he, he likes diverting our attention to this physical world because that gives him greater access and easier access to our minds. And that's what he really wants. He wants our thoughts. And so, because he knows if he can control our thoughts, he controls us. And so that's the battleground, and that's where he is, is attacking us. Look at Romans 12 and 2. We get another picture of that. We're told not to, not to copy, it's don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn, learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, we have two spirits that are, that are vying for our minds. We have the Holy Spirit, and then we have Satan, both wanting to control our minds. When we come to Jesus, uh, we come with a with worldly mindset because we've been programmed by Satan on how to think. And then we're given the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit goes about making us a new creation by teaching us to think differently, to think the way Jesus thought, to see people the way God sees people and not the way the world tells us to see people. 
And he does that. Satan wants to stop that. Now, Satan, he wants to stop that transformation as soon as possible. And so what he does, he wants us to look at people and see differences. He wants us to see flaws. He wants us to layer people by what we think are their values, their value to the society and to me. So we want to layer them. That's how he wants us to view people. And he does that by giving us a number of things that we can use to judge people by. Things like um, income level, or social status, or education level, or skin color, or political party, or who, what football team you root for. Anything. It doesn't really matter to Satan which one you use. He offers all of them. Because he doesn't care what you use so long as you use something that divides you from other people. So long as you use something that gets you to look at another person and devalue that person. When in fact God does not. God sees them as sacred and we see them in some other light. So whatever measure you want to use, that's fine. Use it so long as it brings division. But is that, uh, in fact, Satan's pretty good at using another tool, too, and that tool is called sin. You know, if we look out and we see someone living a sinful lifestyle, and we look at that person, Satan will say, they're not worthy, they're not valued. Look at how they live. And so we tend to judge people and then put them at a lower level of importance because of their sinful lifestyle. It, but that's not a good measure because how did Jesus look at sinners? Did he look that way at sinners? Uh, Luke 15 and 2, he's criticized. And he's criticized because he welcomes sinners. And because he eats with them. He socializes them with them. And, and so that's why he was being criticized for that. Jesus never looked at sinners that way. As a matter of fact, uh, he, he, has the, he had the ability to recognize two things. One, that, that that sinner is the one that is he came to die for. And he came to rescue sinners. Sin, he came to expose. So he wanted to expose the sin, but save the sinner. And he made that distinction. Never did it reduce his value of people. So, uh, so sin is not a good measure to use. Um, let's look at, let's look at uh, Romans 5 and 8. It says there that, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now see, aren't we glad that, that God looks at things different from the world? Because the world says, if you change, then I'll love you. God says, I love you, and I will change you. There's a big difference. And, and all of God's creation has one thing in common. We all have differences. All these differences, are, it doesn't matter. We have one thing that we all have in common, and that is that we've all sinned. We all are sinners. And there are no exceptions to that. So if we use sin to, to judge other people, all we're doing is judging one sinful person against another sinful person. And that's foolish. In fact, Paul calls it foolish in 2 Corinthians 10 and 12. So if Satan's strategy is to divide us and to corrupt our thinking so that it will corrupt our actions, if that's his goal, then it's obvious that we need to pay some pretty close attention to what we let get in our heads. I went to a, a business a couple of days ago, and the person that I went to see met me at the door. And that person immediately took my temperature. And then made sure that I had my mask on, and I was wearing it properly, you know, above the nose, made sure I was doing all that right. And then gave me sanitation, sanitizer stuff for my hands. And after that, and only after that, was I allowed to come in. Now, 
It dawned on me that this pandemic is teaching us some things. We're learning some things that are important. And here, they've taken measures to ensure that they don't allow something dangerous to get in. It's easier to keep the virus out than it is to remove it once it's infected the area. Maybe we need to do the same thing with our minds and our thoughts that Satan's after. Maybe we ought to do a better job of checking our thoughts at the door and making sure they're healthy thoughts before we let them in and before they infect us. See, to give, to give Satan squatter rights in our brain, in our minds, would be something equivalent to, say, um, Dwight Eisenhower in World War II giving Hitler access to the, to the Allied headquarters, saying, come anytime you want, stay as long as you want, here are the keys, here's where we keep our top secret files, just make yourself right at home. Now, how foolish would that be? They were at war. Well, how foolish is it of us to not protect our headquarters when we're at war? That headquarters is what he's after. And so we need to guard and protect it. And the scripture reading that we just had, I, I hope you picked up on that, but it's said in there that there is a way that, that, that our hearts and our minds are guarded, and it's with the peace that comes from Christ, the peace that God gives us. And where does that peace come from? If you go back and look at that verse, it says it comes from prayer. Tell God what it is that you want, but don't forget to thank him for what he's done. And that whole passage has words like joy and thanksgiving through it. Now, don't misunderstand. They're not thanking and, and joyful over the circumstances. I mean, when Paul wrote this, he was in prison. They weren't the best circumstances. It wasn't the circumstances they were rejoicing over. Paul said we need to rejoice over the relationship that we have with Jesus and the future we have because of that relationship. And that will enable us to to protect our hearts, and it will keep us rejoicing even in the worst of times. In fact, I think especially in the worst of times. So, I'd like, I'd like to challenge uh, you this week. Um, as we think about these things, I'd like to give you a challenge. I'd like to ask you to think about what you think about. You know, Linda tells me that on my diet, I don't do a real good job because I, I need to keep a log on everything I eat. When I'm eating, I don't have time to write stuff down. You know, so that doesn't work well for me. But you know, it's not a bad idea to maybe keep a log on our thoughts, on those things that we allow to get into our head, that we allow have access to our thinking. And we need to examine those thoughts. So think about this week. What is it that you're spending your time thinking about? Um, do your thoughts take you to prayer for other people? Or do your thoughts cause you to degrade other people? Do you have thoughts that that bring you to compassion or to resentment? Do your thoughts cause you to see people created in the image of God that God loves, or does it cause you to see enemies? Do your thoughts create sympathy for others or a desire to fight? Examine those thoughts and make sure that we, can, we capture those negative thoughts. And I tell you, if you do that, if you take this seriously, you're going to check, take that let me just tell you that you are, uh, Satan's going to approach you on that. He's going to try to challenge you and stop that. And he'll do it a number of ways. He often does. First of all, he'll try to tell you that his way of thinking is a lot better than Jesus' way. Jesus' way is hopeless. You'll never get anywhere thinking like that. He'll also tell you that you can't control your thoughts. Well, that's another one of his lies that he's already planted and tries to convince us of. We can control our thoughts. Now, we can't stop Satan from dropping these lies in our brain. That's going to happen. But we're the ones that control how long we let them stay there. 
And we are the ones to decide either to feed it and to continue on thinking about it or get rid of it. That's our decision, and we can do that. And Satan is almost sure to point out to you that you're right. You've got the truth, and when you've got the truth, that's all that matters. So don't give in. Be tough. That's what he'll tell you. Well, we need to be careful of that because what Satan has done is one of the things he always does. He gives you a little bit of truth, but then mixes in a lot of falsehood with it or, or avoids telling you the whole truth, just a little piece. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 2. Paul's talking to the church at Corinth, and they had a problem like this. And look what he says to them. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. Look at that again. If he has all of this knowledge and all this understanding, he understands prophecy, he can fathom all these great mysteries from the Word, and, and he's very knowledgeable and a tremendous faith. But he doesn't have love, and so he is nothing. The, the truth is that truth in itself is not enough. We want to change the world. We want to love God, love people, and change the world. Truth won't change the world by itself. It won't do it. Truth is only attractive to others when it's properly dressed. If you take truth and clothe it in love, then it's powerful and it can change people. But if you take truth and you wrap it up in anger or bitterness or judgmental attitude, then you don't have anything. You're not going to change anything. All you're going to do is add more enemies. And Satan will be quick to tell us, you know, you've tried this before and failed. How many times have you tried to change you didn't do it? It's not going to work. Remember how Jesus approached Satan when Satan went to tempt him? He always used scripture. Well, maybe here's a scripture that we might want to use when he tell, when reminds us of our past failures and when he tells us that we can't do it. We might want to go to 1 John 4, 4 and read that to him. The one who is, with, who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Say, Satan, you're right. I can't do this. But I've got one in me that's powerful enough to do it because he's a lot more powerful than me and he's a lot more powerful than you. So if he tries to remind you of your past failures, you just remind him of his future and where he's going and tell him you're going to rely on the one that's a lot more powerful than him. The power is there. We just have to recognize it and believe it. And that brings us up to the last slide. None can destroy iron, but its own rust can. Likewise, none can destroy a person but his own mindset can. We need to be very careful about our mindset. We need to start protecting our mind. That's what Satan's after. He controls our mind, he controls us. And you know, we're always gonna have differences. Uh, I wanna make that clear, we'll always have differences. We come from different backgrounds and out of different cultures. We are different colors, and, and we have different political views. We're all gonna be different. And that's not gonna change. It's not going to change. But there's something that must change. And what must change is we must stop evaluating people based on our differences. We must learn to see people as God sees them. We must learn to see the value of every single person because they're created in the image of God and God loved them so much that Jesus came to die for them. Even those that you think of as your enemies now need to pray about that and learn to see them as God sees them. You know, God blesses us with so many things, and we've got so much to be thankful for even during these difficult times. So let's stand and praise God.